I like to sometimes use the you know analogy. You know, you're flying a plane over the United States, and oh, by the way, take the engine and change it while you're flying. It's like okay, we, you know, we're processing millions of transactions. How do we change it? It's very hard to do that. We have a core team of people that really focus on how we go about our business, but it really boils down to three things we always think about. Right? We want to expand our asset classes and geographies, our footprint. Right? Expanding that footprint of what we offer is expanding the products we want to give our clients. Right? And it's the customer personas we want to support. I'm not sure if we would have started this early in my career, if I would have been able to deliver. I think all the experiences I've had over the years have helped me think about how to build a company and organize how we think about growing and scaling. So not sure the success would have been or the level of success we've had in such a short period of time would have been there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fintech Leaders. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa, and I'm a co-founder of Gilgamesh Ventures, a venture capital fund that backs early-stage fintech entrepreneurs in the U.S., Canada, and Latin America. If you enjoyed this conversation, I invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your show so more people can learn about fintech leaders. In this episode, I sit down with Chris Pento, CEO and co-founder of ClearStreet, a $2 billion modern financial infrastructure business focused on providing capital market services, including clearing, custody, execution, and prime brokerage. Launched just five years ago in 2018, ClearStreet was recently valued at $2 billion and has raised close to $600 million in equity and debt from Prism Capital, NextGen Venture Partners, IMC Investments, and many more. In this episode, we discuss a brief history of the U.S. securities and capital markets infrastructure and how ClearStreet is modernizing 60-year-old technology, how Chris thinks about strategic decision-making and why they've been able to execute and launch so many products in just a few years, why Chris believes in the concept of a value-add investor, especially in niche and regulated markets like theirs, transitioning from a Wall Street corner office to a scrappy startup founder, competitive ping-pong matches at ClearStreet's office, and a lot more. Chris, Welcome to Fintech Leaders. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm delighted that you have stopped by. There's a lot to talk about. And maybe I want to start before we get into your background and we get into Clear Streets. I want to talk about the U.S. securities industry because you're, you're probably one of the best persons to ask about it. So, Help us set the landscape of the industry. Sure. You know, maybe we can just narrow it down because that's a really broad, you think of the U.S. securities as a really broad, but you just think about the prime brokerage space itself, where we're, we're really clear she is focused. That industry, you know, if you think about it, many industries have already embraced modern technology. You know, ours is kind of stuck and unfortunately stuck in the past. You know, it's because, you know, these major prime brokers, they're moving trillions of dollars of, in a day between accounts. And they're still running on technologies built in the 70s and 80s. You know, when you think of, when you hear terms like it was written in COBOL, system written in COBOL, and it runs on a mainframe, right? That was 
game changing back in the 70s and 80s because it took away, and I'm dating myself. I mean, I'm a lot older than you are. I've been in this business for a lot of years. You know, it was early days, even before my time, everyone's on a paper. He had big ledgers and everyone who bought stock was ledgered with pencil. They moved that out to a computer in the 70s and 80s, right? And that was what most of the systems were operating on. That was state of the art back then. Unfortunately, the, our space is still still living in that same space today, still living in that same infrastructure. And what you haven't done over the years is add technology on top of technology, new technologies on top of old technologies, just builds up a lot of technical debt that really inhibits experience and inhibits innovation. And it was really, these things were designed for a particular market. When you think about a global world and a global economy and different asset classes and different regions that are trading securities today, these systems are never designed to support that. Yeah, I, I often talk about um, my experience at, at one of the large banks. I had a job in the operations and technology team, and they sent me to Tampa, to Delaware, to Jersey City, and Ireland, Dublin, other locations. And I saw these things in person, Chris, and it was shocking to me. So, I mean, on one end, clearly it was really good technology because it still works, right? But on the other end, why do you think so much of the industry is still using it 50 years later? I think there's two main reasons, if I think about it. I think one is the focus has always been on, since since it went to, uh, to the computer, it's been about building better trading applications, better transaction costs, and the better experiences on the front end of what an individual client may experience, how to build a better algo, right? Back office clearing infrastructure, it's not something that people put a lot of energy and focus into. Hey, it kind of works. Like you start your car every day, it works. I don't care about it, right? I don't need to worry about it. It just works, right? I think that's one. And then over years, as these firms have added layers and layers of technology on top of it, the people who know how to operate these systems or build these systems are, are no longer around. And they've been intertwined to the whole organization from front office trading technology to back office clearing to compliance to finance to every aspect of a, of a prime broker is touching these this infrastructure and to go ahead and change that it's near impossible right it's it's something you know i like to sometimes use the you know analogy you know, you're flying a plane over the united states and oh by the way take the engine and change it while you're flying it's like okay we, you know, we're processing millions of transactions how do we change it it's very hard to do that and that's why lots of these firms don't do it they they kind of kick the can down the road yeah yeah and it often results in even in costly errors, right? I'm not going to say the name of the bank, but there's a bank that accidentally paid almost a billion dollars out, and it was all mostly because of a UX problem, that the, the, the software was just so bad. I imagine that's something you also see in the industry. Yeah, 100%. I think it's the quality of data. Because you're running separate systems, because you want to trade U.S. equities, you're running on one platform, and when you want to trade non-US securities or fixed income or, or different asset classes like futures or options, they're running on separate systems. And then someone's had to build layers of technology on top of that to say, hey, let's let's try to consolidate this into a consolidated report for our client. That's hard to do. It's a lot of technical debt, a lot of timing infrastructure, a lot of different data sets and data modeling that has to kind of be merged together to give it output, right? So that's why when we, when we started this, we saw that problem. And we can certainly get into a little bit what made us drive this down the road as we talk here. But it's if you think about like what does it mean to have a single platform, a single data set for the world securities? That's what we want to accomplish here: a single data model. And then, how did you get into building Clearstreet? Maybe 
I know you've been in the industry for decades, but how is that evolution going from a large firm or a few large firms to one day saying, you know what, I'm going to build this from scratch and kind of start with a handful of people, you know, without any support. Yeah. A lot of pain and experience of, of a lot of years running the system. You talk about your background. You know, I have a very similar background as being an operator in this industry for a lot of years. And I think having firsthand experience with this infrastructure really is where it first kind of clicked in my head that says, we could redo this. We can be, do better. As an organization, we could be able to build better. And then when I partnered with my other co-founders who had similar experiences, but from different sides of the business, one came as an engineer who's, who's a software engineer who's built high-performing trading systems before, and the other co-founder who has been on the buy side running a large asset management business had these pains in their own way, right? And when we got together, we said we could solve this problem. And Chris, a lot of, you talk to a lot of investors and they say, oh, we love investing in second time, third time entrepreneurs or people that have worked in startups because you know they know what it is to build a company. But there's also people like you that come from your know, traditional financial environment, right? And you still have what it takes to build a company. How was that transition? You know, it, it's a great, and we talk about it a lot as we think about how we hire in the organization. And I've had, and I did have a, a, a year or two of, of trying other different types of businesses to get them started. So I did have some startup experience before I, before I came to Clear Street, but it's remarkable how different. And, and we talk to people, you know, I do hundreds of people, you know, a year. And I can tell you, it's consistent. You know, it's exciting, it's romantic, but to really understand the grit it takes kind of to start something when, you're used to having all this infrastructure around you and you walk into a room and you're staring at your your partner and there's nothing else. You're like, wow, we got, you know, we got some work to do. And and you know, I think that's where you kind of kind of distill for that as you think about as you talk to people, try to kind of find that. Because it it's not something that you can walk out of the bank. Sometimes it's good to have a second startup. We do look for someone who maybe has some experience in a small organization because we get that kind of scrappiness that's needed to build. And so let's talk about Clear Street, but it's specifically about your customers, right? Tell us about the, if there is a, a typical customer you work with, maybe give us some examples and, you know, what are some of the key services there you're offering today? Sure. So our investors are really ranging from emerging managers to the largest institutions. And our, miss our mission is to provide them everything they need to execute, clear, settle, finance, custody, the world securities on that one platform, that one single source of truth, right? Using modern technology, right? Cloud-based, cloud-native, microservices architecture. And that's what we're delivering. We're delivering on that, on, that, on that mission. So, you know, if you think about the world we live in today, where, and our, our client, again, is that more of a the larger, it's not a pure retail client. It's a, it's a merging manager. It's an active trader who's using the services. But if I'm a if I'm a retail account that has $500 I want to invest, I can go to my app today. I can download a, an app, open an account, fund it from my bank, and start trading literally in, in minutes. If I'm a $50 million or $500 million hedge fund, I, that's, a, that's a process that could take months or measured in, in months or quarters, not, not hours or minutes, right? And we want to make that process better. And that's what we're focused on. Makes sense. And I'm guessing you initially started working with those emerging managers, maybe faster sales cycle and, and, and easier decision making. 
but over the years you've evolve into larger customers. Is that kind of the trajectory that you took? Exactly. I think as we continue to add capabilities and products onto our platform, we've been able to kind of move up the, to the size of customers we're servicing. We have multiple billion-dollar managers on our platform today, and we want to service them all. We don't want someone to graduate off of our platform right, where they get their start at this size, and next thing you know, they're too big, and we can't provide not only the technology, but the service that they're used to seeing at some of the other shops that they, they may have been have experience with. So for us, it's really important to not just have great technology, but, but great service. And in terms of employees, how big is the firm today? So we're over 350 people today. So we have 350 people, almost exclusively in the U.S., mostly here in New York City. Our product and engineering team is about 120 people. And we continue to iterate and hire and, and excited about the growth trajectory. What's the hardest thing about building a team to 350 people. Well, there's a lot of things that kind of unpack in there, but I just to give you an idea, like we started this and we said we're building clearing infrastructure, right? And to be a friend, you know, for lack of better words, clearing is not sexy, right? You know, maybe the way payments wasn't sexy 20 years ago, right? It, you know, now payments has become something that people really kind of run to. So we had to first explain the problem and people from traditional finance, they get the problem. Like yourself, you've seen this because you've lived it. People outside of traditional finance didn't, didn't really understand the, the, the complexities of the problem. And we've done a good job, I think, educating that people coming out of Google or Facebook or Airbnb or wherever we're, we're able to attract talent from now. I think our marketing team has done a phenomenal job of explaining what we're doing. We, we're pretty out in public on with our blog posts and talking about what we're trying to solve. So it's really important to kind of build that awareness of the problem we're trying to solve. And it's gotten easier and easier as we've gone along the, the journey, right? now, as we've executed our plan. Someone told me that the biggest contribution from fintech to the industry is that it has made the back office sexy. It's true. It's a good rebrand. And so, you know, I guess on, on that note, you, you talk about convincing people to join. You also convince investors to join as equity investors in, in the company. You, you recently announced a pretty massive Series B that... Correct me if I'm wrong, valued the company at two billion. So congrats, by the way. But you know, tell us about that journey and and maybe about the Series B. That was a, really the first time we, it's a Series B, but it's really the first time we took external capital. So when we started this business back with my other co-founders, it was one of our co-founders' primary capital they put into the business of Cetus with hundred million dollars. And then it's a lot of sweat equity and growth. And we, we really try to grow the business and make money running this business, running our system and running and operating. So when we went, not this recent April, but April 22, we raised our first outside capital from Prism, Prism Capital, who's our lead investor. Uh, they, they understood the vision. They had experience like yourself in, in the struggles of running and building businesses within the legacy architecture and, the, and infrastructure. They, that's what got them excited. So we raised 165 last April they came back in this April with another $270 million to complete a $435 million round. We're excited to welcome Prism back in. You know, they, they're funded by well, you know, one of the biggest public pension plans in, in the West Coast and uh, lots of other good investors and who believe and understand the story. And that's, that was what attracted them to this. It's not for everybody. Not everyone understands the problems of this legacy infrastructure. But if you have some context around it, it really resonates really well. And so, and I know the founders have different opinions about this, 
But do you think there's such a thing as a value add investor? In our space, 100%. So we actually have a couple of small strategic investors today that, that actually invested alongside of Prism because they see the value of what we're creating and they, they understand the need in the marketplace and they want to be part of this. So we do have strategic investors and we, we will always be looking for people that not only understand the problem, but can end up being really good users of the platform. Chris, let's talk a bit about the building of the company. You are building infrastructure for the financial services. So that means you can't move fast and break things. Whenever you launch a product, it has to work, right? You can't lose money for your customers. That's that's a non-starter. How tell us about the execution, right? How does how does it happen internally? How have you set up the company for for success to deliver on the promise? So it's a really important. We are in a highly regulated environment. Customers trust us with their funds and their and their money. So it's really important that we we have the right controls and processes in place. And one of the first things, again, my background is in operating infrastructure of and operating businesses in the financial services space. So I, I have that background. And and one of the first things we did was said, we're building a modern platform. So what we're going to do it with really modern technology. We're going to hire the best engineers we could find, whether it's from the FANG industries or even in traditional finance. And we're going to pair them with subject matter experts who have deep knowledge about how to operate a regulated entity like, like ClearStreet. And then when you build things, you build things smartly. You take the lessons learned over 30 or 40 years of being in this industry and things you, the pain points you've had, and let modern engineers solve those problems. And you have that magic mix of being able to get the right level of expertise alongside the right level of engineering to solve problems. And then we test that. We test it, right? We don't just do things. We, we have a rigorous testing process. Again, our, our, product, our, our product and development and, and design and engineering teams are a significant percentage of the overall organization, and we have a thorough process around that because, again, people are trusting us with their money, and it's important that we maintain and earn that trust every day. So, in other words, you can move faster than, I guess, the traditional players, but you cannot move as fast as, say, I don't know, Instagram or, or any other of those startups. Well, Instagram is not a startup anymore. Yeah, it's a fair question. I, I think we move, and my, again, my experience comes from the financial so I think We're moving really fast in, in, in relation to how financial firms move. And we do a significant number of releases on a daily basis. The way we're, we've built our organization, microservices, a, API infrastructure, where you can iterate and build without impacting the rest of the, you're not building this model, that system where you make one change and you go and do two changes a year because it's going to be back-tested and take you know quarters and quarters of testing because you're impacting the whole system by making one change. So I think a lot of this way we're architected allows us to go really fast, which you've seen in your as a fintech investor, you've seen that everywhere you've been, but not in the clearing infrastructure, right? Clearing is still not done that way, right? So I think that's what enabled us to go really fast. And then yeah, give you an example. So we were we've been running it on equities and options for the first year or two as we were testing our system, trying to build different products on top of that. We literally decided to launch fixed income, so clear another asset class on our platform, and we got that done in, in six months. So it's from design to delivery in six months. That's really fast, and we didn't disrupt our ongoing business. Right on a daily basis, we're doing somewhere around two and a half to three percent of the overall U.S. equity market volume is running through our infrastructure. And on a transactional basis. And we had to maintain that while we add asset classes, while we expand other regions. We need to maintain that business and still run a controlled way. So 
I think moving fast, I think, again, it, it goes back to our the way it's kind of architect, which is very different when you see a traditional firm. Now, inevitably, in your role as CEO of the company, you're the leader of the company, right? You're, you're, you're going to have to hear the ship. And, and that involves kind of finding your voice as a leader, developing your style. What has worked for you in that trajectory to really become what you would consider a, a good leader? I think when I, when I think about how I've, I've kind of grown in this industry and I've been doing this for, for a long time, I've always been the one type of person who kind of runs towards solving problems. And that's because I've grown up in the operation, being an operator in the world, I run to those problems. And I think people kind of see that in me and they know that you know I'm going to be in there getting into the details, understanding the problems they're facing, whether it's a client, whether it's an employee, whether it's an investor, they, they'll know I'll be there getting into the details of understanding how we want to solve, run and solve a problem, right? And that attracts people to, like I talked about earlier, how do we tell people about the problem of clearing of that infrastructure? Explain that problem and tell them we're going to, we're solving it. And we're able to attract people that want to solve that, that are motivated to go in and solve that problem. So I think really finding the, my voice around like-minded people that, that see that vision and want to kind of join the organization and join that challenge. Chris, part of leading a company is also deciding where to take it next. And, and you've launched a number of products. You, you are continuing to launch, and we're, talk, we're going to talk a little bit about that. How is that internal process where you, you and your team decide, okay, this is next? Have you developed a systematic process? It's, you know, we have a core team of people that really focus on how we go about our business. But it really boils down to three things we always think about, right? We want to expand our asset classes and geographies, our footprint, right? Expanding that footprint of what we offer. It's expanding the products we want to give our clients, right? And it's the customer personas we want to support, whether it's starting out with the smaller players, moving up into the larger asset manager hedge funds, into the largest players in the street. We want to continue to expand that. So that's really important to us. And then making sure we hire the right people to help us deliver on that. That's how we decided. And then from there, we, we, we're not afraid to bring in experts who have this experience and let them build teams around them to help deliver on that those goals. And as part of that, one of the things you're launching is an investment banking division, right? Let's talk a little bit about that because by the time this podcast comes out, that announcement will be definitely out there. Yeah. So I, I think that just in general, our brand has never been better from the standpoint of people understanding what we're trying to do. In fact, just today, one of the biggest banks announced they had merged UBS and Credit Suisse merged and and they announced cutting half the staff. I mean, people get what's going on in the world, but yet we're here growing, aggressively trying to build a business. Part of adding in the banking business to us is about supporting and servicing our clients, giving them that white glove service, that service they're used to seeing from the biggest players. But part of that that is that service, but also that technology behind it. And we're excited about partnering with the banking team coming in and building and offering that to our clients so that they see the value added as if they were at the biggest firms in the world, they're, they're, but now they're on our platform being able to deliver the similar service they see everywhere else. So that's five years into the creation of the company. What's next for the next five years? I think we have to continue. We have to continue to execute. The path is is right there for us. I mean, we, we get the feedback every day from people we talk to about wanting to come and join us or, or businesses they want to come in and work with us or even investors that, that want to be involved with us. But the key for us is to continue hitting that mission, expanding, going back to those three things, expanding our asset classes and our geographies and the products, 
and expanding who can be on our platform, what types of clients can be on our platform. We have to just continue executing on that mission. That's going to be over the next three to five years of continued growth in those core areas. So Chris, before I let you go, I have two quick questions. What would surprise people the most if they heard about kind of like what's involved in the day of, of a CEO? What, what has been the most surprising thing? That's a great question. Here at ClearStreet, if my ping pong game falters a little bit, I get in trouble, right? So I, you know, we have a, you know, we got pretty competitive ping pong matches on the on the floor here, and and we uh, have pretty heated matches. And you know, if I'm off my game for a day, people are wondering, why, you know, why are you stumbling today, not returning the ball properly? So I, I think it's the, the ping pong effort. I hope you're okay with a little joking on the, you know, but it, I, <laughs> we take our, you know, we take the stuff seriously. We're competitive by nature. One of our core values is winning, and I, we want people who want to compete and and win and whether it's in ping pong or building the next infrastructure, it's important to value of ours. Love it, love it. And then you mentioned a number of times that you've been doing this for a long time. You've been in the industry for a long time. Do you ever think that you wish you would have started Clear Street earlier in your career? I'm not sure if we would have started this early in my career, if I would have been able to deliver. I think all the experience I've had over the years have helped me think about how to build a company and organize how we think about growing and scaling. So not sure the success would have been or the level of success we've had in such a short period of time would have been there. Also, I, I think the modern tools we apply, whether it's open source technology or using the, the cloud native infrastructure that we're operating on, really was not able to be deployed maybe 10 or 15 years ago as easily as we could deploy today and the ability to track talent to build that. So it's, I think it's the right time for us today. It's a problem that's been around for a long time. I think it's the right time for us to solve the problem. Well, Chris... A really, really good conversation. I'm really delighted to be talking and you know to be learning about what you're doing at, at Clear Street and, and kind of hear a little bit of how the magic happens internally. So thanks so much. And I'm going to be following closely. Thank you again. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Chris Pento, CEO of ClearStreet. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. If you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, please just drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.